This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 182 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Okay, I want to start today's episode by addressing something that I've seen from at least a handful of hobby-related accounts this week. And that is the notion that the hobby is flat. A lot of people are saying that right now, and I've seen all different viewpoints, and some of the bigger accounts are starting to um, echo these sentiments because they're hearing it from a lot of different people. I know one account just came out and said something to the effect of, hey, the hobby is flat. What can we do to fix it? Um, I think Nat Turner posted a story that leaned more the other way. Hey, the hobby is not flat. I know they addressed it on the crossover last week as well, and I think that they realized it was more nuanced than that. It's not just a black or white issue, but um, when I first started seeing this hobby as flat rhetoric, or at least the, this newest iteration of it, my first thought was, you know, the hobby's not flat. This is just the first true off-season we've had in a long, long time. But the more I got to thinking, I realized we're also coming off a period where we pretty much had two-plus years of non-stop hobby activity. So I guess, in a sense, it's not even another true off-season. But realistically, it's kind of a pointless debate. I know people are going back and forth. I know, you know, topics are slow right now, right? Um, But I think it's a pointless debate. And I also think that a user named South Park Cards did a pretty good job expressing that in one of his recent Instagram story posts. So I'm going to read that for you. He wrote, the hobby is dead is a buzzword or a buzz phrase. It's subjective. There's no metric for a hobby being dead. Meaning, to someone who joined the hobby mid-2020, it could very well feel dead to them because they joined at the peak. You can't tell that person they're wrong or right because it's their experience. Now, with that being said, you know, first off, I'll say I hope the hobby's not flat to you. Um, And, you know, if you're taking the time to listen to this show, which is a basketball card podcast, right, that's pretty... Uh, specialized here, but that tells me you're you're probably more engaged than the average hobbyist. Um, but even people that have been around a while or people that are more engaged, we all go through phases. So if it does feel flat to you, there's nothing wrong with that. And you certainly have the right to express that if you feel that way. At the same time, though, you are largely in control of your own hobby experience. So if you're currently participating in the hobby in a way that bores you, you might have to stop doing the same boring stuff. You know, you can't always rely on the things around you to change when you don't like them. Sometimes you have to be a little more proactive. And, you know, if you don't like that the hobby has changed 
in a way where you can enjoy it the same, um, which, you know, that certainly happened with, with as fast as things are moving now. You know, you can only bemoan that for so long before you have to move forward in some fashion, and it would probably benefit you to pivot a little bit. And that's not a new message, by the way. I know I've talked about pivoting many, many times before on the show. Uh, you, you can think back during the pandemic, those talks were focused more on people that had been around a while. Well, now maybe people that have, have been here for even 18 months, maybe things feel flat to them because it's not quite the same way it was. Maybe they're getting a taste of that same medicine. Um, you know, either way, it, it seems like people new or old in the hobby could use a little reminder, you know, just pivot, right? So since I'm also reminding you of that, I'd like to think that this show offers at least a partial solution. I don't expect everybody to collect like I do, but hopefully either through my experiences that I talk about or the people that I bring on, you know that there are more options out there and there are always new things to try. Okay, that's all I have to say about that. Like I mentioned last week, my mail has been building up um, quite a bit. So I'm going to, instead of trying to squeeze that in here at the start, that's going to be the bulk of today's show. I've saved it for the main segment here shortly. Before then, however, I can't forget about this week's installment of Collector Classifieds. Hi, my name is Joey, and I'm at Sac Kings Cards on Instagram. I'm always looking to add rare or unique Sacramento Kings cards or memorabilia to my collection. Right now, I'm particularly looking for low-numbered Peja Stoyakovich rookies and Bobby Jackson gold refractors. I'm also chasing the 2015-16 Panini Preferred Statline Memorabilia Prime Set, which is a horizontal game-dated patch booklet set, and I need four cards for the set. Dirk Nowitzki, Julius Randle, Clay Thompson, and Kemba Walker. Thanks, Kyle, and thanks, everyone, for your help. Okay, so as you just heard, Joey is looking for low-numbered Peja rookies, Bobby Jackson gold refractors, and then also the 2015-2016 Statline Prime Set. Um, and he's uh, made a post on his profile. I think there's only five of them that he's missing now. Um, and I, I don't have one of those five, but I do have a Paul George. And I will say, even though I'm not a fan, or a huge fan, I should say, of horizontal booklets, it might be one of the nicest sets Panini's ever made. They've got an acetate surface. It's got a game-dated relic. It's got a photo from the same game. Uh, these things are incredible. And if you want to see an example of this set, head on over to Joey's Instagram, which is sack.kings.cards and you can see for yourself why he's been trying to chase these down. All right, before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Boom, baby! Okay, so as I mentioned already, I've been on a bit of a buying spree lately. And no, you know, it wasn't any sort of special occasion or anything like that. It's just all of these cards kind of came for sale right around the same time. And maybe you've been in the same spot before. Um, you know, thankfully, I had been able to save a little money before that. So, um, you know, I've been buying 
but I haven't had time to talk about these cards here on the show until now. And there's seven or eight cards total, so it's going to be a little longer than a traditional mail segment, which is why I made it that main feature once again. So let's go ahead and jump right in. The first card I want to talk about is a 2020-2021 Flawless Emerald Patch of TJ Warren, numbered 5 out of 5. And I've talked about one of these previously, um, not the Emerald necessarily, but a TJ Warren Flawless Patch, which featured a piece of one of the Pacers' 2020 Royal Blue City Edition jerseys. Um, And hey, you know, guess what? I bought another one. Uh, Probably won't be my last copy either, although it is my first one, numbered to 5. And aside from the fact that these were one of my favorite Pacers jerseys of all time, I really like this patch because I was able to pinpoint the exact game it was used in. And that's rare for Nike patches. Maybe you've noticed, but they're more pressed on and they rarely have any loose threads or anything that really, um, you know, sets them apart from other pieces. And um, just to recap, TJ Warren missed the entire preseason in 2020 And then he only played four games in the first month of the season before they shut things down for good. So I went back and grabbed the dates of those four games from Basketball Reference. And it just so happened during that stretch, the Pacers wore four different jerseys, um, which is insane. I think it's kind of crazy, but in this case, it helped me out. The only one featuring the Royal Blue jersey was the December 27th game against the Celtics. Um... The last time I talked about one of these patches, I mentioned that I plan to double-check my work using the pinstripes in subsequent copies. Well, this one does, in fact, match. So like I said earlier, very happy to own it, and I plan on owning more. Okay, the next card features a pretty unique patch from the 90s, very similar to one I talked about not long ago with Dominique Wilkins, um, although these two cards were manufactured two decades apart. The one I got this week is a 2001-2002 Fleer Shoebox Collection NBA Flight School patch of Antoine Walker, numbered to 75. Um, And I know Fleer Shoebox is not a set you hear about often. You know, chances are maybe you haven't heard of it at all because they only made it for one season. And it also comes from that era of horrible rookie classes where a lot of products and inserts have been forgotten about at large. But Fleer Shoebox Collection had a pretty cool mix of relics including jerseys, patches, basketballs, and shoes. And there was even a memorabilia set in it that had a, you know, it was a triple piece, right? Or a triple, you know, memorabilia card. It had a jersey, a basketball, and a shoe piece all on the same card together, which was pretty cool. That's not what this one was, though. This was just an Antoine Walker patch numbered to 75, but the patch piece is gold, royal blue, and white, which if you think about it, that is not a Celtics patch at all. But in this case, it's a 50th anniversary patch from a warm-up, which is also interesting because the card says it's a game-worn jersey. And a lot of early Fleer stuff did a really good job of making that distinction, but I guess they didn't do that here because they definitely didn't wear those on the jerseys. Those were on the warm-ups. I saw one of these in the last year on ComC with a similar piece, But I felt kind of weird about it since I hadn't seen another one with that patch. So I passed on it. And I kind of wish I had grabbed it just in case. You know, sometimes I'll grab stuff and then try and verify it after the fact. And then, you know, if it comes out that it's it's not good, I'll just eat the $30 or whatever. Uh, I should have done that here and I didn't. But thankfully, another one popped up. And then when it did pop up, that basically confirmed for me that it was a legitimate patch. So I quickly made an offer 
uh, Seller and I were able to come to a middle ground. And uh, some of you might have seen this already on my YouTube channel. I showed it off some point in the last week. If you haven't seen that and you would like to, you can still find it there. Just search Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, the next two cards I'm going to talk about were packaged together. Um, and uh, although, you know, once you hear them, you'd think they wouldn't be. Uh, but I'll tell you why here in a moment. I got a 1957-58 Topps Don Meineke uh, in an SGC 4.5, which was an upgrade for me. I'm still working on that set. And then I got a 2018-2019 National Treasures RPA of Aaron Holiday, numbered to 99, and that one's a CSG 8.5. So uh, two very unlikely cards to have shipped together. Uh, but the reason they came together is because I won them from a recent PWCC auction. And those of you that are longtime listeners of the show, you, you might remember that I haven't always been the biggest fan of PWCC, um, and especially some of the leadership there and the stances that they've taken during the whole um, conservation versus alteration debate. But I have been curious about their new platform. I do like to try new things out in the hobby, right? This could be my version of pivoting. So it, it's nice to see alternative platforms. And so I wanted to try it out for myself. Um, and to do that, I wanted to buy two cards so I could, you know, combine shipping and kind of see how that whole process works and see how, you know, if it was seamless or not. And um, so those of you that have never bid on PWCC before, there's something on there called extended bidding. And this wasn't my first time on extended bidding, but it is the first time I've won. And basically, um, you know, you bid um, ahead of the so-called, you know, closing time or the extended bidding time, whenever that starts, you bid prior to that to be eligible for extended bidding. And then um, the bids will go, you know, you have 30 minutes to make another bid. Now, some people might make that bid right at the start and, you know, hey, just put your high bids in and, and let's duke this thing out right away. Some people might wait until the last bit and then they try and, you know, wait another 30 minutes and they're trying to wait people out, I guess, you know, hoping that they fall asleep or whatever. I don't know. It's a very weird experience. Uh, they're not the only people that do that. So I'm, I'm not saying that PWCC in general, that that's a weird, you know, weird for just them. Um, but anyway, I, I won. I can see how extended bidding would drive people crazy. Um, but, you know, Aaron Holiday and Don Meineke, there's not a lot of people really trying to draw that out. So in other words, I got mine pretty quick. And um, I thought I had set everything up correctly and I paid for my items. And it was only after the fact that I had paid that I noticed my default shipping address was the vault, which I never entered that in. In fact, I, you know, I remember entering my own information in. Um, I know there are perks to the vault and I, I've kind of poked fun of all the vaults before because it is getting kind of ridiculous, but, um, you know, I wanted the cards in hand. So I had just, I literally just made the order when I noticed it. So I opened up an online chat support to see if I could just cancel the payment and pay again, you know, or, or if they could just change the address, right? I didn't feel like it was that complicated of a thing, even though it was, I guess, technically my mistake. Well, they told me that they couldn't. But they then also said, you know, the benefit of that, of, of having it shipped to the vault is that uh, it saved me some sales tax, which that's not what I set out to do from the start. I just wanted my cards. But after that, you know, I immediately requested a shipment. And I think they, you know, that was on a, a Monday that I had tried to pay for them. And I think they showed up on a Thursday. So, you know, I would say aside from the initial confusion on my part, it, it was a pretty good buying experience. 
And there's a lot of, it seems like there's a lot of cheaper stuff that's getting buried right now in their weekly auctions. Um, I, I just love cards in general. A lot of my eBay purchases are 30 to $40 cards. There's something about a card in that range that um, really does it for me. And uh, it seems like a lot of that stuff is getting on their weekly auction, which, you know, a lot of people don't want to deal with that. A lot of people that are regulars on PWCC probably don't want to deal with that. So between that and the market cooling, it might be worth keeping an eye on if that's kind of your range as well. I, you know, there are some things I would improve. I wish I could search by team name instead of having to go through everything, but it is what it is. Um, I will tell you though, one place where you can search by team name is Com C. So allow me to interrupt for a moment here because it's about that time in the show anyway, to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com, your home for buying, selling, and flipping all types of trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 28 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With the ComC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time and ship them home together later or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. For more info, you can check them out on social media under the handle at CheckOutMyCards. All right, the next card is probably not going to be one that really surprises you. I got a 2021-2022 Panini Recon Draft Night Auto of Chris Duarte, numbered 1 out of 16. And I have professed my love for Draft Night Autos on this show before, more than once, probably more than three or four times. Um, that's, I just like them, right? And they, they started in 2017 status and they were actually kind of hideous then, by the way. Um, but they moved around a couple times since then in, they stayed in status in 2018, but 2019, they were in illusions. They didn't make them last year. And then this year they've settled in recon. And the idea behind draft night autos is just like it sounds. Panini has draft picks, sign these giant stickers on draft night. And then they build them into cards later in the season. And they don't look like sticker autos. In fact, I, you know, I've seen some people that are newer to the hobby that are pulling these out of recon that think they're on-card autos because they're, they're just that good of sticker autos. It's my favorite sticker autos by far and some of my favorite autograph cards in general. Um, most of them in the past have been numbered to 32. So they're rare, but not impossible by any stretch. And they still made 32 copies this year, but they did something a little different. They split that up between several parallels. So there's one uh, out of 16, there's one out of 10, there's one out of 5, and then there's a one of 1. So that still makes 32. My fear, though, was, you know, I'm going to end up finding one of these number to 5 copies or something stupid and and just end up paying a premium because the foil's different and the, the serial number's different, when in all reality, there's still 32. Um... Regardless, though, I had a save search for them, so I would catch any and all copies that were labeled Recon Draft Night. A Duarte popped up, and I made what I thought was a fair offer. I guess I had been the only ones I had seen so far were some of the bigger names, so I thought it was a fair offer. Once the dust settles a little, it was probably a strong offer, but um, the card is in hand, so it is what it is. I secured the card. I'm happy about that, and really, you know... I don't mind paying a bit of a premium for this one because I told myself at the start of the year, um, I'm mainly a memorabilia and a relic collector. I am not going to buy rookie props though. I'm not, and and you can draw your line where you want to. I'm not telling you where to do that. I'm fine with player worn for rookies. In fact, I have, you know, I have no issues with that. Would I prefer game worn? Yes, but I'm fine with player worn. Unworn, I'm not fine with. 
Um, those are like props to me. I refuse to pay for props. But um, so I knew I wouldn't be pursuing a lot of Duarte cards. I wouldn't be no on the NTRPAs, you know, any of that prop stuff. I'm not buying. So um, I just as soon pay the money to get a few of the other cards that I wanted. Maybe, you know, one of the gold cards, which Prism Gold went way too high. Prism Gold went like uh, something stupid, like $1,300. I don't maybe even higher than that. Um, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to get this draft night auto and, um, you know, I'm going to do the same thing with Isaiah Jackson. And once I do, I'll have a copy of every pacer that's had one. One more thing before I move on. If anyone has a picture of any draft pick signing these on draft night, and I'm talking about from this, you know, 2021, 22, please, please, please send it my way because Panini used to publish that sort of stuff. And it was just nice because you'd know, okay, you know, is that reassurance? Yeah, it's called a draft night auto, and it actually was signed on draft night. I remember they made a post showing Zion signing his. Um, They've stopped doing that. Now, I have seen them in other places like the Nuggets sent out a picture on draft night this year of one of their rookies signing at the 2022 draft. Well, that's not this set. That'll be next year's set. Um, But I don't have any evidence that the 2021 rookies did. I think they did. But we really can't assume either because we know some of the next day autos were redemptions showing that they really weren't signed next day or at that, you know, rookie photo shoot like they normally would be. Anyway, if you have a picture of a draft pick signing these, please send it my way. It would be nice to know for sure, especially since that's the premise of the entire set. Okay, got just a few more cards to go here. Next up is a 2009-2010 Topps Championship Materials patch of Bill Russell, number 37 of 50. And let me start off by telling you the things that I think take away from this card. And that's kind of weird, right? This is, I'm I'm supposed to be talking about my mail and building it up and and telling you why I like it so much. Um, But I do want to kind of tell you what detracts from it first. This is the same set as a Magic Johnson patch card I've talked about before, where the patch window is a small circle in the shape of a basketball. And the design of the window itself has a cutout and it kind of hides some of the relic piece. That seems like a major design flaw to me, um, especially in the case of that Magic Johnson patch that I referred to, where it's a really nice stitched patch. Um, this Russell patch, however, you know, patch is, is a bit of an overstatement. It's a stretched out white piece off of the collar or the armholes. It features a very small green section on it as well. But you know what? Technically, it is a prime relic, and Russell has so few of those, so... Uh, I figured it was my only shot at getting a Prime Russell where the card is classified as an actual patch card, um, which it does. This one says patch on the front. And when this card first showed up on eBay, the price was astronomical. I wasn't even considering it then, although I kept watching because that's what you do. When things are astronomical, still watch them and then just try and wait them out. Um, So this one got relisted pretty quick, maybe even a couple times. Uh, eventually that price dropped significantly and that is of course when I grabbed it and now that I have the Russell and the Magic I think I have the Irving patch too I'm considering chasing the set I had a shot at a real nice Elgin Baylor from the set at one point and I passed on it I wish I hadn't Um, I haven't seen one since then but even if I don't pursue the entire set I'm very happy to have the Russell so make sure to keep an eye out on social media for that one if I haven't posted it already. I think it's been on Twitter, maybe not Instagram. Okay, the last two cards are of the same player. The first one, 
There's not much to say. It's a duplicate. I grabbed a cheap 2005-2006 Topps Chrome Gold Refractor of Jeff Foster. And I acquired one of these earlier this year after not having seen one for maybe five plus years. And when I got that one, you can go back, I don't know what episode it was, but I said, hey, every time something like this happens, I bet you four or five copies of this card are going to show up out of nowhere. That's just the way it seems to always work. Well, that was correct. I've seen so many 2005-2006 Topps Chrome Gold set breaks over the course of the year. So finally, I had to grab another Foster because it was just stupid cheap. I say I had to do that. What am I going to do with an extra? I don't know. I might put it on my desk, right? I, I just I just couldn't stand to see it go for so cheap uh, when I hadn't seen one for so long. Okay, that Foster was cheap. This next one was not, or at least not as cheap as I would like it to be. Um, it's the final card of this week's show. It's one I've been looking for for a long time. It's a 1999-2000 EX Essential Credentials Future of Jeff Foster, number 12 out of 16. So that was his rookie year. And um, I was browsing Instagram one day, as I often do, although I really don't look too much at the actual feeds. It's mainly just messaging, but I was browsing, and I got a message from Vintage Pacers. It's always um, cluing me into you know nice cards that maybe he knows I would like, and uh, he was definitely right on this one. It was a picture of this Jeff Foster credentials from someone's story, and it wasn't a big account. I started looking at his story, and it was loaded with rare Pacers cards from the late 90s, and he actually had two copies of this credentials. Um, He had 10 of 16, which was jersey numbered, and then uh, 12 of 16. And and seeing as he had two of them, I figured, you know what, this has got to be this guy's PC, and I've never, you know, seen this guy before. I reached out to him, though, and they weren't, so that was encouraging. Um, and then I asked for prices, and they were both, they felt like they were up there, but they're his cards, and I'm not trying to criticize him for that, and you know what, I, it's probably just me being cheap, but um, the jersey-numbered one was significantly higher, so I passed on that. It would have been cool to own, but it not worth the price jump to me, so instead we made a deal for the 12 out of 16 copy. And um, I know a lot of you are familiar with credentials in general. If you're not, though, I did an entire episode on them pretty early. That was episode 25. But um, every year there were two parallels of the base card. So there was a credentials future and the credentials now. And every year the two serial numbers added up to a predetermined number. And it, it wasn't the same every year. Now, in 1999, the rookie parallels all added up to 31 which makes them considerably more rare than some of the other years. So Foster has the future version, numbered to 16, which I now have. And then he also has the now version, which is numbered to 15. So, um, you know, you've seen a lot of the popular credentials out there. Some of them might be, you know, there might be 70 copies or whatever of just one of the parallels. Well, this Jeff Foster, if you add them both together, there's only 31. And I don't think I've told this story on the show before, But I had an interesting experience with the now version, number 15, a little over a year ago. And I was at the the National, actually, it was my last morning in Chicago. And I woke up to two or three messages to let me know that a Jeff Foster had been listed on eBay. So um, thank you to those of you that are always looking out for me. And at the time, I I thought I'd be able to snag it for like $100 or $150 tops. 
Uh, this is when people were still in the shiny stuff, so you could still kind of do that from time to time. Well, um, I, someone else was pursuing it, and the seller tried to, you know, leverage one of, you know, both of us against one another, and um, this lasted for a while. And it was going on when I reached the airport, and I let the guy know, hey, I'm about to board a plane, so you're, you know, you're not going to hear from me in three hours. Please don't sell this in the next couple hours. Please give me one more chance to counter. Um, well, lo and behold, the plane lands and all of the notifications rushed in. You know how eBay does it when you've lost something? They, they send you, they don't just send you one. They send you like three. They want to really make you feel bad about losing. Uh, and this card had sold and not to me. And, you know, I actually, I, I think I omitted this from last year's national recap because I didn't want to end things on such a bad note. And, and really I'd had a great trip, so I wasn't going to let something like that spoil it for me. But, you know, I was pretty bummed out about it, and I doubted that I'd ever see this card again, and I kind of tried to put that out of my mind. Uh, you guys know, though, when you're chasing grails, that you can't just put that kind of stuff out of your mind. You think about it. And um, fast forward to today, I still haven't seen another copy of the now, number to 15, but I was able to get its counterpart number to 16 this, uh, a couple weeks ago, so I'm very happy about that, and I wanted to take some time to share that story with you here today. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, I know that was a lot of mail all in one episode. I, I, you know, some people like the mail episodes. Maybe some people don't. Um, I do feel like it's a privilege to be able to talk about the cards I'm chasing, though. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Maybe you're chasing a grail of your own, or maybe you've already found it. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.